millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, you're listening to the Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. And this week, we're learning all about why there's life left in TV news. Joining me in the Press Gazette podcast studio is Press Gazette UK editor, Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Dom. On this podcast, when it comes to broadcasting, we're often talking about platforms, YouTube, social media, but we're going back to the TV news bulletins this week, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to hear all about Five News, which, yes, it is on YouTube, Facebook, main social media platforms, but it doesn't have its own website and it's not yet, anyway, on TikTok. So it's very different to some of those, but it kind of shows how, yeah, you can still be doing really exciting things on linear TV. And it's quite interesting at the moment, Five News, isn't it? Because it's an hour long. It's recently gone to an hour, hasn't it? I feel like in the last year. And about the end of 2021, yeah. And then since then, it's hired Dan Walker from BBC Breakfast, so a really well-known face. Um, so I can give you some figures if you'd like them about mm-hmm. the growth over the past year or so. So I don't know if it's just the Dan Walker effect, obviously, but I think Kate suggests that he might have been part of it. July to December 2022, viewing figures were up 9% compared to the first six months of the year. So that obviously does coincide with Dan's arrival, but also kind of shows some of the things they had done in the relaunch and which is continuing all all that bedding in. And then in January this year, that was up 6% year on year and February this year up 12% year on year. So it seems to be in a pretty good place. And it's early on in the, in the evening in the schedule, isn't it? Yeah, five o'clock for an hour. Previously, it was five o'clock for half an hour and 6.30 for another half an hour. They obviously had to kind of cover very similar things in both because you have to get across the news of the day, whereas now they have a bit more time to do that, plus some longer features, a little bit more personality in it, rather than just sort of racing through what everyone needs to know. So when I think about Channel 5, which I do I do find myself you know, on, on Channel 5, but I'm I'm there for motorway cops, traffic cops, trucking, bit of cruising. <laughs> I mean, like cruises. Cruising with Jane <laughs> McDonald, yeah. the classic. They've um, got they've got a rich vein of uh, documentary content on there. I feel like mega structures and maybe lots of shipwreck documentaries as well are, are on there. <laughs> oh, uh, don't forget about Jeremy Vine's daily program, of course. Yep, yeah, I'm more on the sort of late night. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> After like, everyone like, else has gone to bed. <laughs> yeah, let's watch that documentary about massive cranes. <laughs> but they've got some good stories, haven't they, in the last few years? I'm thinking about Dan Walker had an exclusive interview, didn't he, with Nicola Bully's partner? Yeah, Paul Ansell, yeah. We do talk about that in the interview. It's kind of a benefit of being part of a slightly bigger group because it's kind of came through ITN and was commissioned by them. So it shows the benefits, even if you are a smaller brand. With some of the stuff they do, they are punching above their weight because they're kind of the smallest national newsroom by number of people, about 55 staff members, certainly the smallest broadcaster. But yeah, then they're getting some of these memorable scoops. It's five years provided by ITN for Paramount, which owns the channel and they, they pay the bills. So it's kind of two big companies involved, even though, like you say, probably one of the smaller players in TV news. Yeah, and I mean, it seems that they understand the importance of having that news presence on their channel. I mean, obviously, it's required by Ofcom to have a certain amount of news, but there does seem to be a commitment to making it fresh and as good as it can be nowadays, yeah. Brilliant. So who are we speaking to and what did she have to say? So... I have spoken to the editor of Five News of the past five years, Kate Fitzsimmons. That's neat, isn't it? Five years at Five News. Oh, yeah, I love it. should have thought of that sooner. (laughs) So Kate actually began her broadcast career as a news assistant at Five News in 1997, which was soon after it launched. Since then, she's been a programme editor at ITV News at 10 and Sky News. She rejoined Five News in 2013 as programme editor, and then she became deputy editor in 2014, and then obviously now editor. And I started by asking for some standout moments from her five years as editor so far. Did you ask for five standout moments from her five years as editor of Five News? (laughs) Sorry, Dom, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, let's listen to them anyway. Oh, gosh. Okay, that's quite a challenge. But I was thinking about this the other day, actually. In my first week as editor, it was when the Beast from the East swept in and we were commissioned on the day of the programme to do a two-hour live primetime weather special by the channel, which was, I think, day four of me being in charge. And so it feels like basically just since that moment, it hasn't really stopped. The, The sort of Beast from the East swept in and then it just kept going. And it's been an amazing time to work in news. For any journalists, the sort of the news period that we've been through in terms of the political turmoil and changes, significant cultural events, sort of the way that the world is changing and the challenges that we all face, you feel like you're doing three or four days of news every program. And I think for me, the things that have really stood out is that we'll probably talk a little bit later about the new program. But I think I've often said to my team, particularly the younger ones, you know, In relaunches, you can have all the money, you can have all of the ideas, you can have the best people, you can have loads of time, and the relaunch in TV can still go terribly wrong. And so to do one that actually is a success from day one in the challenging times in the middle of a pandemic, that will always, for me, stand out as one of my kind of proudest career moments, to be honest. And then on top of that, to have one of our best editorial years, you know, we won awards, we were nominated for many more. And I think that being able to do those two things hand in hand is just remarkable. But also I think what I love about Five is the team and giving people the chance to develop and see their careers really shine. And, you know, I got my start in Five News 20 odd years ago, and I love watching people come in and really develop their skills as journalists and go on to have brilliant careers in other newsrooms and often come back in the way that I have as well. 
And I think that's for me, as much as the editorial and the kind of the leadership stuff, it's actually the team and what getting to work with a brilliant team who are fun and hardworking and really care about what they do. And that's what makes it a brilliant job to have every day. Oh, lovely. How big is your team at Five News? So uh, we've got a staff of around 55, but obviously like all newsrooms, you know, there are freelancers and we flex up and down depending on what we need. It's the smallest of the kind of national newsrooms. We're hitting up against newsrooms that are multiple times our size and measuring ourselves against both their budget and their heads. Yeah, you already mentioned the relaunch. I thought that would be a good place to go next. So instead of me setting it out, why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, the the relaunch is now a little bit over a year old. It was the end of, not last year, but the year before when we went on air with it. But I think it had been something that we talked to the channel about on and off for actually for as long as I've been editor. I remember one of my first conversations with the commissioner, Daniel Pearl, was actually about the programs because we had this strange thing of the 5 p.m. and the 6.30 and how to make them feel distinctive when they're so close together and those sort of challenges. And obviously bringing them together as one was always something that was sort of in the background, but it never quite came to the boil. And then suddenly, only about a year and a half ago, it started to come to the boil in a way that my radar told me this is on the cards more seriously. It's time to really look at this. And obviously there were lots of things that had to happen. Ofcom had to agree to a quite a significant change in our sort of our obligations. The team had to be completely restructured and we had to really look at what the point of Five News was really. And I think what we decided was that an hour would really give us an opportunity. We know that our audience doesn't necessarily watch a lot of other news elsewhere. So they might be turning on at 5 p.m to watch news for the first time that day. They haven't woken up with the Today programme. They haven't spent all day on their phones on Twitter. And so we have an obligation to let them know the bigger stories that are going on in a way that's engaging for them. But also an hour means that you've got space to do other stories that maybe aren't getting a look in elsewhere or we know that we think are important but kind of can have a prominence that we can offer them in that hour. And also then there's the opportunity at five o'clock, things are still happening. You know, the world is still going on. We've had President Zelensky speaking to Parliament for the first time, which we took live into the programme. That was one of our highest ever viewed programmes. We had so many things happening around Brexit. We've had prime ministerial statements. You know, there are so many things that are still happening and developing at 5pm. Any broadcaster will tell you 21, 22 minutes, it's really hard. You're just trying to cram things in as quickly as possible. A whole hour means that you have space to be able to say, let's take that for 10 minutes and then talk about it a bit off the back. And you've still got space for all of the rest of the day stories. And that's an amazing freedom. It's a bit scary as well for the program editors, but it's an amazing freedom to have that option. And it's been brilliant over this last year as we've really bedded in the program and developed it to see the confidence of the production teams, you know, both brilliantly led by B. Baddick in the production terms, but also the program editors in the newsroom to really push and say, okay, let's just take that and then we'll do it like this. And this is how we'll make it work. And really have an opportunity to not just stick with the formula. Old 5pm was very much a bulletin. It was a package and a live and an intro. And it was very, it was fast and furious. And it gave you the day's news in 20 odd minutes. Now we have space to have a bit more chat and a bit more personality without that turning into anything beyond us still telling the audience the news. We're a news program first and foremost, and it always has to come back to that. But it gives us the space to experiment and try things in a different way. Things like the five phone, where we've got a bit of time to be able to listen to what the viewers think about the stories or hear their stories about the issues that really matter to them. So is that being able to WhatsApp the presenters? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been a real revelation, actually. I mean, I've been a journalist for a long time and I've done viewer interaction in different ways. And I mean, it was clear it was a great idea, but what the great idea would actually mean for the programmes wasn't as 
clear straight away. And I think over the last year, what we've seen, and I think CL is amazing at, and the other presenters when she's not around, but that she's so good at marshalling the kind of the comments and framing them and helping them be part of the story. There's no point asking stuff if it's just going to be, I'm angry or I'm sad. What you want is for people to actually tell you about how they're impacted by the stories. And I think something like the cost of living and strikes, you know, we've been able to hear people's experience, people who are striking or people who are impacted by the strikes or people who are having to make really tough choices to get by are able to just get in contact in a really accessible way. Like everyone's on WhatsApp. It's not a kind of a send us an email or it's just a really informal way of hearing from someone like you're texting a mate. And I think I've been genuinely taken aback by the level of interaction that we get. Sometimes program editors will suggest a subject. I'll be like, that's quite a small number of people who are going to be impacted by that. And then often you get the best stories that way. And it's really exciting to let the viewers know. We all, everybody in the newsroom talks about the viewers at home and what they want to know. And we've got that direct line from them every day about what, what they think is important. Yeah, I'm really pleased that it's worked and people have engaged with it. Yeah, yeah. as I say, you can, it's easy to be, as a journalist, it's easy to be cynical about this stuff. It's like when people denigrate Vox Pops, which really drives me up the wall, because it's like if you ask the right question, you can often get better insight than from someone who's got a kind of a, an impressive subtitle on their name super. You'll get somebody who'll tell you about how they've had to change their life or what they've done or that insight into that particular politician and whether or not they should be doing their job or whether or not it's right for them to be doing something. And if you ask the right question, you can get really insightful answers. And it's about, it's a commitment that we take people seriously. I think people in news talk about engagement and trying to get audiences to feel like they are interested in what's going on. And I think part of that is for people to hear their opinions and know that they're ma they matter on screen. And as I say, that's not on every story. There are some things where I'm not against experts. You need experts to tell you what's going on. But there are so many cultural and social issues in the world that are happening at the moment that I think that we've got, we've every everybody watching, including all of us in the newsroom, are impacted. COVID is a brilliant example of that. It was one of those stories where you didn't go home at the end of the day and it was over. It was all around us. And I think that's an acknowledgement that journalists are part of the world like everyone else and that our audiences' experiences really matter. I guess that also can help inform your future journalism by knowing, oh, they really cared about that or that really touched and so we'll yeah. do more on that. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. I think the rise of digital obviously has given us kind of live data and insight into the sort of stories that people care about. Broadcasters have viewing figures. and That's a kind of a relatively blunt tool to understand what's going on with the programmes you're doing. But if you can get a real sense of the stories that people connect with, those are the ones you can think, right, we're going to put some more time and effort and resource into that because we know it connects with people. It won't always make all the decisions, but it will help guide you in terms of the kinds of places that people care about. And I think we, we're, we're, that's something that we're really mindful of, like our audience at home, who they are, who have a really good idea about the kind of audience we're trying to serve. And that's not to the exclusion of other people. It's just knowing that that's at the core of what you do and then you try and make it as broad as possible. And I think that's more and more the insights you get from digital help you feed the kinds of stories you're doing. And what gets intention online can help you think about what might be people might be interested at home in other ways. Mm. So you've mentioned a couple of times how your audience is slightly different to a lot of yeah. the other bulletins. Can you just shut out who your audience yeah. are? Of course. So our audience is predominantly female predominantly sort of, I mean, I say older, but for TV audiences, like the BBC audience is often seen as being older retirement age. We're probably more typed as middle age, kind of 45 up. 
out of London often. I mean, if you think about who's at home at 5 p.m., that's the key. It's You've got people who are retired, people who are getting up to do overnight shifts, people who are at home with looking after kids, whether they've been home all day or they're getting home at 5 p.m. from a job. So often out of London, we, we, we have a share of the London viewers, but often it's the North, the Midlands, the nations, because that's where our time of day fits into people's lives. And so, yeah, having that in the center of what we do means that, again, one of the reasons why we made the program the way we did it is that you have to earn the right to be in people's houses at 5 p.m. They're not sitting down for the evening, sitting on the sofa and staying there. You've got the kids running around, you're putting the tea on, they want to do their homework. You've got to sort that before you head out to the shops or you're going to work. You've got to earn people's attention. And that's not just a case of saying, this is important. You must listen to it. It's come here. We've got some stuff to tell you. You want to know about this. And that attitude, I think, is really important in the language we use in scripting. The presenters we have, you know, Dan and Ciel are really human, warm people who are journalists at heart, but they take people seriously. And I think it's all of that pulling together to really be thoughtful about the people at home. So you touched on digital. I wondered yeah. if you could talk about how you do digital at Five News. What's your strategy with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our digital team is tiny and it's something we'd love to grow. So it's a real challenge for us to punch an appropriate weight for it. So some of the metrics that we have to use aren't always the same that other newsrooms will have. For instance, we don't have a website. We exist entirely on social media. Our main platforms are Twitter, YouTube, and some Instagram we've been working on. I mean, we're behind on TikTok, but we're looking at what we could do potentially on TikTok. But with a tiny team, it means that you need to be careful about your, how you allocate resources. So we're not necessarily commissioning brand new content for online purposes. What we're doing is repurposing TV stories we do. And I've always seen it as a little bit of a virtuous circle. So you get a sense of, you know, we do a story on the program, we put it, we do a quick turnaround, say onto Twitter, we see that gets really good engagement and really good views. So we think, okay, we'll put some more time into that and repurpose for other platforms. So you're then expanding your eyeballs into different directions. It's not necessarily about bringing an audience back into five news, but again, a sense of getting our journalism to as many places as possible. And if we raise the profile of five news in the process, fantastic, but it's sort of two slightly parallel enterprises. One thing we are brilliant at is engagement. And again, that comes back to the idea of knowing your audience and what they care about. We're often in amongst the sort of the top level of engagement for our stories. Do you have any examples of the sorts of stories that might do well with a five news audience on Facebook, for example? It's been quite interesting, actually, because I think it's there are main themes that do really well. And we know that kind of cost of living and we know that kind of human interest stuff does really well. And then when it comes to our own independent journalism, often leans into that. So we've done a lot on long COVID. We've done extended reports. We did a podcast series at the end of last year as a result of the interest that we know the viewers have in it. And then some of the kind of social affairs stuff and the special reporting that we've done around. There was a series we did around child parent abuse, which was kind of quite stunning stuff. And those kinds of stories will get often get attention as well. So there's the sort of day-to-day stuff that we do and what we pull out of our program stuff but they're also the bigger themed things that we jump on which are more kind of bespoke content that we do that we then repurpose for online hi i'm anoush and i host the new statesman podcast twice a week we get under the skin of westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next we interview politicians policymakers and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. 
plus hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. One thing recently that obviously got five news's name everywhere was your sort of scoop with Paul Ansell, the partner of Nicola Billy. Yes. I wondered if you could just speak about that sort of idea of getting this big scoop and other things when you're, as you say, a small team comparatively and how important that is to you. Yeah, well, the scoop came about as a result of a commission. Channel 5, who are our broadcaster, obviously, often use ITN Productions, who are our colleagues just over on the other side of this, the floor here. And they commissioned a special program around the Nicola Bully disappearance and Dan to present that. So we've got this kind of format where we will, on fast turnarounds like this, we'll kind of come together and they'll provide the sort of the production and then we'll put in technical teams, editorial teams, news teams. So it's a sort of a kind of a their front with us supporting in the areas where we can so it means we can continue with our day-to-day job of putting the program on air and they bring the program together so that's how that that interview came about and then obviously we were able to fully benefit from that because we knew that the interview was happening we knew what was in it we knew how to play it we were able to go with it so I think it was a brilliant example of the way that ITN is able to you'll know it's not just a five news here that there's there's ITV and channel four but ITN productions as well is a huge part of that and we have a an incredibly close relationship with them. Obviously, Vine is also made by ITM Productions. They're on the same floor as us. So there's real kind of crossover in terms of ideas and talent. And there's a recent commission, actually, and we're helping out by providing production support to it as well But because we've been able to do that. So it's it's a really good example of the way that we benefit because we got to use that amazing interview. ITN was able to do this program that was better than it would have been if it had just been us or just been ITNP and yeah I'd get attention which was fantastic and I thought an amazing interview by Dan actually a really difficult one given the sensitivities of that story how far into it we were and hopefully it was dealt with in a way that Paul Ansell came out feeling that he'd been able to tell his story and, and get his side across but also asking the kind of questions that people were asking about the story at that point. Yeah, I think it did that. And obviously, then a couple of weeks later, you've got their statement about press intrusion. I just wondered, not, it was nothing to do with Five News specifically, obviously, but I wondered if you had a take on that and how it had all been done. All journalists are aware that we're often speaking to people on what could be one of the worst days of their life and the sensitivity around that. And I think in recent years, that level of sensitivity has grown and, and rightly so. We're always looking at making sure that we have the best possible processes in place for dealing with difficult stories. And I think, you know, clearly the Bully family felt very strongly and that's why they said what they did. And I think any broadcaster would want to make sure that they are dealing with things in the right way. And I know that our colleagues at ITN will be looking at that Ofcom process that's underway and I'm sure they'll be like Sky cooperating fully with that. And I think it's only right that all broadcasters look and think, what can we do? Is there something we could have been better at? Should we evolve? Because you can easily be left behind and not following best practice with this stuff. And it's about how people feel and you have to be open to to listen to that and respond to it whenever it happens. Yeah. And I guess it all kind of ties into that issue of trust with the audience as well, doesn't it? And bringing everyone along with you. Absolutely. But also I think one of the issues that we could struggle on sometimes is the conflation for people around regulated media and social media. And I think that particularly the family in the eye of that storm, it's 
how do you tell the difference? It's really hard. And I think that responsible broadcasting, we can't just think about ourselves in isolation. It's part of the bigger picture. And I think that's also something that we're all still, you know, it's been around for a while now, but that's only growing. I mean, the, the evolution of TikTok in particular this time around is the, the sort of the newest part of it. But there'll always be something that we need to think about and work out where it, everything sits and how to approach that in an open way as possible. And we, we saw lots of changes that broadcasters and journalists were doing on social media, particularly after Twitter became a real news gathering tool in breaking news scenarios. And people came up with a kind of a code of conduct and how to approach things. And I think that there will inevitably be evolutions, whether it's this story or another one, we'll see more changes as people have to update their processes and make them more rigorous. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right. So one other thing that one has touched on in terms of big stories was obviously, as we said, comparatively small newsroom, but you were still able to invest in going out to Ukraine, had like Tessa yeah. Chapman out there. So I wondered if you could speak about that decision and making sure that you're out there along with everyone else, even though maybe you've got this smaller team and smaller budget. Ukraine is a real challenge and we made the decision not to go back for the anniversary because it is a real budget challenge. But I think there are always, our, our budget across the board is smaller than all the other broadcasts and, and that for foreign coverage, it makes it particularly challenging. I think there are some stories where it's you're a journalist and you're like, we need to be there. And there are times when you can look at the story and go, there are other ways to tell this story. We can get a sense, we can hear all the voices that we would have heard, but we do it in a different way. And, you know, the evolution of Zoom, video calling, internet, the insight that it gives us inside countries where there are difficulties accessing smaller organizations, are, you know, that's completely revolutionized the way that we can speak to people. I remember we did a Zoom with someone and they had their kind of rifle perch. And you think we're seeing stuff that we would never have been able to see before without physically being there. Just looking ahead. So obviously we've touched on the changes with social media changing the news landscape and mm online and everything, but how confident are you about the future of the scheduled linear TV news bulletin? I think if anybody had talked to me 10 years ago and told me the changes that would be coming up, I would have probably been 50%, okay, I see that, and 50% flabbergasted. So, you know, what the next decade holds, I think there are some things which are pretty clear, and that is the move on to, into digital is inevitable, and that will only continue to grow. But, you know, the challenges about how that is paid for, you know, I mentioned earlier about the, the tension between regulated media and social media. And I think what things like COVID has shown is that when the as big story happens, the audiences for news went up, people wanted information, they wanted safe and factual information. And in a way, there was a huge boost for all broadcast media at that point and then regulated media because it, that's where people turned to find that information from. And I think that showed that it's still something that's important. How that plays out in terms of where that appears and at linear news, I'd love to have insight on that because I could probably make a lot of money. But I think the product will always be wanted. It's just the method of delivery, I think, is something that we just we need, will need to look at. And I think I'm really hopeful that the value that PSBs bring in terms of the news content is more understood now than it's possibly been in recent years before COVID and more bedded in. And I think that can only add to the argument of the value that we bring to a kind of a proper society that has good factual information and news that people can access easily. You mentioned about the method of delivery changing. Do you think Five News will have to get its own website at some point or is that on your radar at the moment? I mean, again, I'm not sure if it's necessarily about that. I think it's about making sure that Five News 
is given space within in the same we have the same prominence on channel five and the same kind of visual sort of scope to people that exists it might not be through a website and obviously you have my five you have different ways to get content to people there are so many different ways so i think those structures I'm, i'm in a weird way i'm probably slightly more relaxed about what they are it's more about the fact the acknowledgement that they need to exist and that that happens so for me that's that part of the thing that's really crucial the actual platform itself is as I say, 10 years ago, could you have imagined the sort of the ways that people would be consuming news? Some yes, some no. And I so I think for me, that bit will come and we'll be ready for it. But I think it'll be less about the individual and more about making sure that there's a, a really important framework. PSB continues to have its prominence and continues to be seen as something that's important and worth investing in. Yeah, definitely. I know that others at ITN have spoken about that before as well. Yeah. Well, you only have to say ITVX, you know, and looking at the way that ITV is investing in having news on demand in a way that nobody else has tried before. And I think that shows that broadcasters really want to make that happen. It's just finding the right way to serve the audience, which is really exciting as well as kind of <laughs> As are many of the challenges in this industry. <laughs> are there any final words or things you wanted to share that we haven't yet? Well, I mean, we talked about the programme and just say, I think, I suppose... I'm really excited about the way that over the last sort of few months, we relaunched in a kind of an eye of a storm. And there were loads of ideas that we just weren't able to really get on air straight away. And my feeling was always it's a small team. Everyone will work themselves into the ground to make it happen. But it has to happen in six months time and in a year's time without killing everyone. And I think so we've been then over this last year, been able to really develop the strands within the program. We have things like top five things you need to know. It actually harks back to the old era of five facts on the channel, but also is about giving people a little bit of bite-sized news and those kinds of strands that then help us build a framework of a program that is not just a typical news bulletin, but has a little bit more to it than that. And I think that's what's been really fun and interesting and having, you know, Dan is such a talented and varied presenter and the duo that he and CL have on screen together is really fantastic. And I think it's great to have seen how the program's developed in a year. We didn't just relaunch and then it froze forever. It's been an evolution. And I think it's really exciting to have a program that gives people options to be like, why don't we try this? Because that's not always the case. Often it's very formulaic and very straight and it's really nice to be able to go, let's give it a go and see what Are there any other um, strands or things that have changed We've put one in recently called Round the World in Three Stories, which is just a way of getting some foreign news into the program. And one thing we've really learned is that people are watching for news. I mean, there's, there's lots of light and shade, as we call it, in the program, but making sure that there is a solid core of news threaded throughout the program. And the strands also help viewers know that it's there and feel it's comfortable and familiar and regular and they can rely on it. The next thing we'll be looking at, I think, is how we open the program. We've already done these really great explainer graphics with Dan at the Wall, where we're able to break down stories in a really accessible way. But I think how you open a program says a lot about your intent to viewers. So that, for me, is the sort of the next thing that we're putting our minds to. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of stuff we come up with on that. But I think we're getting to the point now where it's the main parts are in place. And then it's just a matter of just really leaning into that and having the confidence that it's worked so far. Let's keep pushing. Thanks for that, Charlotte. I feel I've learned a lot more about Five News and why it may be worth me tuning in earlier. But I'd have to watch it on catch up probably because it's five o'clock is a little bit earlier. And for what she's saying, that I'm, I'm not quite the core demographic. 
Yeah, it is a good point that obviously it's a slightly different demographic to the other broadcasters. You sort of have to think about who might be home at 5pm. It's getting those people. So I think it's a really good example of they've figured out who that audience is. They know they're reaching people that aren't sort of in the classic news bubble almost. A lot of them, if they're going to turn on a news bulletin, that's the only place they're going to get their news that day maybe. So they've really figured out how to serve those people specifically I think it's a good example of knowing who your audience is and doing what's going to be the best offering for them yeah and quite you know an interesting place to be at the moment with sort of news avoidance with a kind of underserved people in the news that's what GB News launched didn't it and I, I think Talk TV are kind of targeting those sort of people as well the people who maybe feel that you know the news isn't for them reaching them is a good a good thing to do isn't it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's obviously noteworthy. A lot of them are or a bigger proportion outside London. So I think it is reaching those sort of non-metropolitan bubble people. And life left yet in TV news. It's not all about putting reels on Facebook or podcasts or, you know, life on other platforms. There is a good audience there that need to be served front of the telly at five o'clock. Yeah, and not just it's not just old people watching it. There's there's younger demographics who are really you know grateful for what Five News is doing. So all the viewers aren't people that have just nodded off. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Charlotte. You've been listening to the Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette editor in chief Dominic Ponsford with Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit and expertly produced by May Robson. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already to hear us every week. Check out pressgazette.co.uk where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and read more about all the issues we cover on the podcast. Thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.